Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And if you're a first timer, we welcome you to the show. And this is Robert along with my new co-host, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, have you recovered from the shock of the Russell Westbrook deal yet? (laughs) I think I'm just starting to, Robert. I tell you, it, it did catch me a little by surprise. I guess not so much about the fact that the Rockets got Westbrook because, you know, we've been talking about it for several days, you know, ever since the uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George scenario happened. But I guess it was just the way that that it actually happened that Chris Paul actually went to OKC. Now, I kind of wonder if that's going to be his permanent stop, if we might have another Andre Iguodala situation where OKC might send him somewhere else. But at the same time, the Rockets got Westbrook, and and I will say this: whether you like the trade or not, you can at least credit the Rockets for once again not sitting on their hands while other teams go out and get better. Daryl Morey, as he has tended to do, went out and at least tried to make the team better. They and I don't just talk the talk, but they walk the walk. Now the question, of course, is: Will both players be willing to adjust their game to make it work? Now. Of course, they're going to sit here and say, "Of course, yeah, we'll do that." But once you get out on the floor uh, and play a full season, that's when you're going to find out. So, but those are just a couple of quick observations, uh, as in general, as far as the trade goes. Uh, well, we definitely need to get into some Astros conversation, but I want to mention a couple of things we found out since the deal. ESPN's Brian Windhorst said that, "quote uh, From the moment that Paul George was moved to the Clippers, Harden and Westbrook were in constant communication, applying pressure to their teams to get this done. This wasn't easy because Harden's been on a worldwide Adidas tour. He's in Europe right now. This was going around time zones to get it done." Unquote. That's Brian Windhorst and Stephen. That kind of puts the nail in the coffin on the Chris Paul Harden relationship because you would assume if he was pushing for it that hard, yeah, the, the Chris Paul thing might be a big deal. I mean, you could also look at it as he just saw Westbrook as an upgrade and he's got the great relationship with them and they played with each other and all that. But I kind of feel like it's more the former than the latter. Well, yeah, I think it's no surprise at all that Harden's fingerprints were all over this trade. He certainly wanted it. Westbrook wanted it. And, you know, the styles of play between the two, and they did play together before. The the one trip that OKC made to the finals, they were both together. Now, of course, Harden was in a different role then. He was a sixth man. And he's not the James Harden that we have now. But they have been together before. And, yeah, it, it didn't surprise me at all that, Harden's fingerprints were all over this. So Westbrook's penchant for taking poor shots and his low three-point shooting, I mean, they're well-documented. But even if he bumps it up 2 or 3%, my only thing is, is he going to equal Chris Paul in many of the phases of the game that he brought? And it's easy for now for them to say, yeah, we'll do whatever it takes to make it work. But that's, that's really my biggest question is, Westbrook may add, obviously, some explosiveness, some enthusiasm. But when you get into the postseason, that's when we're really going to find out. Yeah, it's interesting because according to the Chronicles' Jonathan Fagan, Harden told the Rockets he'd be more willing to play off the ball with Westbrook. And I find that interesting. Uh, Steven, I can't remember if I said this in, in the last podcast, but the Rockets definitely 
have the potential to win more games this year in the regular season because Westbrook can play far more minutes than Chris Paul. You don't have to load management with Russell Westbrook. I know I mentioned that part, even though, you know, it's something that I don't, I I, I won't back off my concerns about the Harden-Westbrook combo in the playoffs, but for sure, you know, you've got somebody that's going to be a little bit more reliable there. And then I think we need to get a little bit more into, you know, where they these two go from here. I mean, you know, uh, it, it's we, you talk about Chris Paul, Stephen. We never said a proper farewell and thank you to CP3. And bottom line was, you know, this was a star who wanted to play with the Rockets, who wanted to play with James Harden. Everyone said they couldn't play together, but they were uh, a Paul hamstring away from winning the championship, most people believe. This year's playoffs was a struggle because he had stepped over the proverbial hill. You know, he was over the hill, really, Chris Paul. But last year, the Rockets leaned on him in the Golden State Series. And there was no doubt in my mind, Stephen, he was the best player in that series. You're right. They're going to miss Chris Paul a lot. Not only what he does on the court, you know, just by his physical play, but I think what he does as far as leading this team, telling guys where to go, you know, his mind is is a step above, I think, either one of these other two guys, Harden and Westbrook. Absolutely. And Chris Paul, definitely, we, we owe him our gratitude for even, if, if you're a Rockets fan, I say we have to. But, you know, to, to get as far as they did last year, and if we, we will always wonder what could have been if he hadn't gotten hurt, if, if, if we had gone into game six. You know, the Rockets had leads in both games six and seven without Paul. So imagine, you know, we, we can play the what could have been scenario if he had been in there. The Rockets, I would think, surely could have won one of those two games. But we do owe him that thrill, and he was definitely, and I agree with you, Robert, he was the best player in that in that series until he got hurt. Also interesting what J.J. Watt tweeted out after the trade. He said, quote, not many people know this, but CP3 was literally the first celebrity to reach out and donate to the Hurricane Harvey fundraiser. He'd recently been traded to Houston, uh, called up and said he wanted to help. He's talking about Chris Paul, of course. Uh, And then he finished it off with saying, look, very first one uh, that did that absolute legend uh jj watt unquote uh it just i mean th- that's one thing that cp3 uh always does he always does great stuff in the community uh russell westbrook i know is going to be missed in, in oklahoma city and and perhaps he's going to bring uh some things to the community here in houston but you know for chris paul to immediately steven jump in after harvey was a Really cool deal for for Rockets fans and for the for the Houston area. Yes, that's right. He did, and I do remember that. And that's why I hope that that's one of the many reasons I hope that the next time Chris Paul comes to Houston, whether he's playing for OKC or somewhere else by then, that the fans don't boo him, don't boo him. It's not his fault. You know, he he did what he could, and he he did a lot of things in the community. So I hope they give him at least a good reception when he does come back. I never understand when teams boo guys and why they boo players. I've always been confused about that, Stephen. I, I still don't get the whole Carlos Beltran hate after, you know, he was fantastic for you for three months in 2005, and then people booed him for years afterwards. And I thought, why are you booing a guy that was going to be a free agent, could go anywhere? He had no loyalty to Houston because he'd only been in Houston for two or three months. 
he gave everything that he possibly could. He took the the the, the deal with the the more money. He he went to New York City, which everybody you know would want to go to New York City. You know, I think uh, if you get the chance and and you don't have other ties because it is New York City. So I I just never got that, and sometimes I'm just confused by fans. Yeah, that's right. I don't. I didn't think it was fair either. I think a lot of the reason that happened is because there was so much hype surrounding that maybe he would resign with the Astros. That there was some hope out there, and of course we all know who his agent was, Scott Boris, and that it probably wouldn't happen. But there, there was just so much after what he did, how close they came to getting to the World Series. That if we could just resign Carlos Beltran. We'll get over the top, and we'll go to the World Series. Well, guess what? They went to the World Series without Carlos Beltran. So, yeah, I, I never understood that whole thing either. The two things that we – I don't think we discussed last time about Russell Westbrook. Uh, you talk about the Rockets, and you're talking about threes and frees. Everybody talks about that, the free throws, the three-point shot. You know, of course, everybody knows he can't shoot three-point three-pointers, but he's going to get to the free-throw line – a ton like he always does way more than Chris Paul would, would get to the free throw line. But the other part about his game, that's going to be a detriment. And, and what Chris Paul didn't do so much is, you know, Chris Paul, uh, he had a couple of weird times where he did turn over the ball in stretches, but for the most part, Chris Paul does a great job of hanging on to the basketball. And that's something that Russell Westbrook is very much, uh, different than Chris Paul and similar to James Harden. Cause now you got two guys that uh, they average close to five turnovers a game. Those two guys. Yeah, that is a concern. I, I will say though, that Westbrook does bring more of a defensive rebounding presence, which the Rockets have certainly lacked in, in the last couple of seasons. So that that's another plus I'd say that Russ brings. Is he going to, is he going to rebound against his own guys though? Is he going to steal rebounds from Clint? Well, that's a good question too. Yeah, Clint Capella's in there, but but at least you you've got another body who can do that, as opposed to you know certainly Chris Paul didn't. Yeah, that's yeah. For sure. So there is that. You know, I, I'm wondering if Tillman Fertitta is going to design a fashion runway for Rockets games now. You put Westbrook with Harden and the underrated fashion icon that is PJ Tucker. You might as well get the Rockets pregame simulcast on the E Network. Uh, forget the MVP awards. This is now the center for red carpet fashion in the NBA, <laughs> Stephen. The- That's it. The, the red carpet fashion awards. I think we should, uh, I think we should market that, Robert. That, that might be a possibility. Rockets red carpet fashion. There you go. Rockets red carpet. There you go. Uh, Astros, uh, my interest in the all-star game, you know, it, it's, it's waned over the years, but one thing that's grabbed my attention in the last couple of years, uh, Stephen, is the mic'd up players. Pretty awesome to see the simultaneous conversation they had with Springer, Brantley, and Bregman. That was sweet. I liked it. That was. Yeah, I have to admit, when I first heard that they were going to mic the players, I thought, really? I don't know. That's a little over the top. But then when I thought about it, I was like, you know, but, but that's what makes the All-Star game fun. It's an All-Star game. It's not a regular season game. It's not a postseason game. It's just a fun All-Star game. And it's it's for the fans. It should be for the fans. So I kind of think that it was kind of cool. I, I got used to it after a while that they mic'd up. I, I think they mic'd up uh, Freddie Freeman, too, uh, during the game. And I thought it was kind of cool. He and Justin Verlander had a little exchange the day before that uh, Freddie said, I'm going to hit one off of you, and I'm going to go deep. And Justin says, well, I'll throw you a fastball down the middle. And, of course, you know, they, they had that exchange during the game, too. So 
that was that was kind of cool. Yeah, the Verlander one that was really neat. I don't, I don't remember that in, in previous games, and maybe it, it's happened, but uh, the the pitcher batter conversation was was new. It, it seemed like anyway. Yeah. Um, maybe the most impressive thing that I saw at the All Star game was Francisco Lindor uh, instructing a second baseman in Spanish turning the other direction and talking to his third baseman in English and immediately answering Joe Buck's question on the broadcast. <laughs> and Steven, I think he did it all in about eight seconds. And I'm like, I he can't pretty quickly. I can't do that in real life. You know, <laughs> No, I certainly couldn't. I, I certainly couldn't do that. Uh, that was really cool. And, and I might check out the home run derby next when Jordan's in it. But, you know, I just haven't been a derby guy in a long time. I just, I don't know what it is. I think that the early years, it was a little bit cooler. Cause you know, it was like, Oh, this is a little bit different. Maybe the, maybe there was just more marquee names or guys that I, I'm, I'm familiar with. Maybe we need some get, get back to the, the guys that are real marquee names. And I, I don't know if there is that uh, two or three guys that sort of stick out, you know, the way that used to, or the way it has at times in history, in Major League Baseball history, there's like, oh, well, there's oh, we know that there's Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris or something like that. And that's going you know way back, obviously. But you know when Sosa and McGuire were doing what they were doing, although you know obviously without uh, <laughs> the steroids, yeah. Now we know, right? Yeah, but uh, yeah, you you kind of feel the same way. It's like it, it's cool when there's guys that we know are these just massive power hitters and, and Bregman being in it. It's nice if you're an Astros fan, but I mean, Bregman hits these home runs that just kind of get over the fence a little bit. Maybe in the minute, it, it seems like a lot more with the short porch, but typically I don't think of him as a guy that's going to hit these uh, home run shots that everybody's going to be talking about the next day. Yeah. I, I don't think, it, I don't think the home run derby is made for a player like Alex Bregman. I mean, you have to be so quick, one after another, after another. And quite frankly, I mean, I watched the Derby, but I, it goes a little too fast for me. I mean, they're hitting one, and it just barely takes off, and they're already wearing back and, and hitting another one. It's just trying to keep track of everything. Which is, I, it's supposed to be illegal, with what you just described. It's, it, the, right. That's part of the rules that they don't really follow much anymore. But Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just think it. I think it's a little bit too long myself, and I really wonder. I mean, do you think, Vlad Jr. has anything left for the rest of the season after that? It should be interesting. I mean, that's been a, a thing with the Derby. Some of the guys, you know, struggle a little bit after afterwards. It, it, it could be just a coincidence. And some people think, well, it, it might be something. But it was interesting because I remember on the broadcast before the Derby, Lance Bergman was talking about, you know, how to uh, manage yourself in, in the home run Derby. And the one thing that these guys do now is they're, they're better at, at managing themselves in the home run derby. They know when to take a break and kind of, you know, they, they know that every single pitch, they don't have to try to hit out, you know, maybe take a pitch or two off and, and, and sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of make it to where you, you, uh, you, you're not exhausted after the first round or something like that, that, that they've learned how to do better. Yeah. The experienced players have, I mean, I, I noticed some of the first year guys didn't always do that, but you know, you learn as you go that it, it's better to pace yourself. Cause if you try to, if you try to do it too much, you're going to run out of gas when it's before it's over and you're going to be behind and you're not going to be able to catch up. So I think it's interesting for the fans. I mean, I, I enjoy it. They, they need to do something, obviously, to keep the fans interested in the all-star game and, and the festivities. Uh, 
I, you know, the, the futures game, I mean, it doesn't get a lot of pub unless you're a fan of the team or one of your prospects is playing in it and things like that. But the home run derby is still the highlight. Yeah. George Springer, who played in the all-star game and, you know, he's coming back from the injury from a, from a couple of weeks ago and he's looked fine, but it's interesting that AJ Hinch gave him Sunday off after only playing three games after the all-star break, but it's a day game. Uh, so managing Springer's injury, smart move. And I think with the all-star game, I think that definitely played a factor for AJ Hinch. So uh, speaking of the injuries though, Stephen, let, let's go through what's happened since you and I have talked uh, Joe Smith is back. He finally pitched on Sunday, uh, looked okay. He, he gets his first uh, action with the bases loaded uh, because Chris Davinsky doesn't know how to throw strikes with a 12, two lead, but uh, at least they've got Joe Smith back and, and that's going to help their bullpen a lot because Davinsky, oh my God, he looks, he looks like a guy that shouldn't be on a major league roster. And, and he's been on this slow downhill uh, turn over the last three or four years. And unfortunately the, the Astros haven't had anybody that stepped up of, you know, of anyone in the minor league. So I, I guess Devo has got a spot for the rest of the year, unless something crazy happens. But uh, Joe Smith being back, I, I think is going to help a lot. Uh, Correa, unfortunately, is not going to be back till July 26th 6th at the earliest. He'll miss two full months for sure. Uh, they changed him to the 60-day injured list uh, in the last few days. Ledmus might be back before that, though. Uh, Marisnik, he's appealing what, a two-game suspension, which is what they gave him for the you know, the Lucroy incident before the all-star break. Right. I heard Buster only say he could see it being reduced to one game. And Steven, I, I just, I got to go back to this because I, I just don't know what message baseball is sending when you could tell by the replay that Maristic was trying to avoid the collision. And so basically your message is if you're major league baseball, we'd rather you collide with the catcher and go on the one side of, of the, uh, line you know coming down the coming down the line it, as long as you do it the right way when you collide with the catcher we would rather you collide with the catcher I thought the object was to avoid the collision that's what you told these players we don't want you to collide anymore and here they're giving him a two-game suspension it's to me it's just a terrible message to send to baseball because now guys are just going to go well if he's on the outside I guess I'm just supposed to run him over and if we both get concussions and it affects our lives and our careers and our livelihoods, then that's that. That's what Major League Baseball wants. Well, th- there is another alternative, and that is stand there and let yourself get tagged out. I mean, there is that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I mean, I don't understand, and I didn't agree with the Marisnik suspension, certainly a two-game suspension. I think, I mean, if I had to take a guess, the reason that it probably happened just be- is because of the severity of Luke Roy's injury. I mean, if they had collided and they'd both been okay, you may not have seen that happen. But because of the fact that what Lucroy suffered a, what, a broken nose and uh, some other injuries, it, it, just the severity, the, the seriousness of the injury, I guess I guess Rob Manford felt, well, we, we've got to do something. We've got to send a, a, some kind of a message. But I just don't see – there was no way that Marisnik did it on purpose. It was the fact that he went one way. Luke Roy won another, and then at the very last split half second, went back the other way. There was no, there was no way Marisma could stop in time. But I, I think that that's probably just from the fact that his injury was, was so severe. That's, that's the only thing I can think of. 
Yeah, I've railed on it enough, and I, I just don't get it. I think if you're an Astros fan or you're a really just a person that uh, looks at it, looks at something and sees what it is and can figure it out, uh, it, it, it just does, it doesn't make any sense. But any Astros thoughts that you have, Stephen? We we couldn't jinx Jose Altuve. He he is officially back. There's no doubt about it. After this this past, well, I was just gonna say I I think he has finally gotten his uh, hitting stroke back. Because it's, it's especially welcome the way the pitching has been giving up so many home runs. And we've had so many problems with pitching. What did he go? Eight for 19 in the Rangers series. He had a couple home runs, including that grand slam today. Six RBIs. I think he scored seven runs. So, yeah, I, I do believe if now if it were any other player, I'd say, Robert, be careful. You're going to jinx him. But this is Jose Altuve we're talking about. So I, I don't think so. I'm out of adjectives. I'm out of hyperbole for Jordan Alvarez. He's still hitting 344. His OPS is 11.55. He's got nine home runs and 29 RBIs and 90 at bats. It's just incredible. Well, here's another aspect of Alvarez's game that I wanted to talk about. Uh, not just the home runs, the extra base hits, the power. I really like it when he makes these pitchers work. Uh, I can't remember the, the Rangers starter's name on the Sunday game, but uh, when Alvarez was in there, he, I think he threw 11 pitches and then he got at the RBI single. So if he can make these pitchers work and get the hits, that's another aspect to his game that's just going to make him even better than he already is if, if he already needs that help. Yeah, he's got Superman vision because he hits the ball hard, which means he's hitting the ball square a lot. Yes, yeah. He is a very good contact hitter. And, uh, you know, he's had a few strikeouts, but he really has a good eye at the plate. That's as much as his power. That's one of the things I'm really impressed with him about is his batting eye. Yeah, Jeff Blum made a good observation. It looks like the, the high pitches, he's able to foul off. He's sometimes diving at the breaking balls that are low. So he, he, he does like swinging at those. They're like candy to him. Uh, so occasionally uh, those he misses, but, you know, he's – been in you know whatever 23 games so far so it's 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 nitpicking and it's hard to do but uh that that tells you kind of what he can work on and if he gets that figured out it it, it might be all over for for the rest of major league baseball uh anything else that you're thinking about well you know we were talking about injuries earlier and uh, the astros may actually have to go use an opener in the angel series just because brad peacock is not going to be able to come back the way they thought he would so, lo and behold, I mean, I, I never thought I would see the day that A.J. Hinch would even think about using an opener. But, I, I mean, the, the, it's either that or you just throw Framber Valdez in there. And like Chris Davinsky, you know, whether you like Framber Valdez or not, who else are you going to bring up here at the moment? Yeah, but opener, I, I'm sure you people don't know. It's like that's basically, the, I guess, the term now for a reliever that you know throws an inning or two or something to start the right. game, and and you know I it might not be a bad idea because you know even guys like Verlander and Wade Miley, everybody that the Astros seem to throw out there these days, they're, they're having problems early in games, especially that get that first inning. The Astros will score you know a run or two, and you're like you know oh great the Astros are ahead you know, and that lasts about you know, 15 minutes and then the Astros are tied or behind again or something. Well, the biggest thing is the home runs, especially, you know, in the first inning. You know, that happened on Saturday uh, or whatever day that was that, that Miley was pitching. 
it, it just it, it's become a real problem. So who do you think would be the best opener? Would it, I, I would say Colin McHugh would get my first vote just because he has already already has experience as a starter. But I also wonder if Josh James, who's been pitching well lately, if he might even be considered a candidate for it as, as maybe a second choice. Josh James racked up a lot of innings in this Rangers series, and he racked up a lot of innings that were, you know, stressful innings, the, the extra inning game yeah. for sure. Uh, he's rolling. I don't mean this series necessarily, but in the future, if they had to use it again, maybe that he might be a, another candidate. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. Uh, yeah, Josh James would be great. Uh, I thought they were going to start maybe the Tuesday game with Colin McHugh because he hadn't pitched at all for about a week. And then they pitched him on Sunday for an inning. And maybe that could just be used as a, you know, just kind of like a, 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 a session, a, like a warm-up session. Like a throwing day. Yeah. 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 And, and, and then you could pitch him. I think you could pitch Colin McHugh three innings to start the game. I mean, that's, that's fair. Well, that's what I was thinking. Because the thing is, if you, if you pitched him an inning and you put, let's say, Valdez in the second, he'd probably get past, you know, the, the Mike Trout type hitters. But if, if you pitched uh, Colin McHugh, say, two innings and then put Valdez in, he might get the top of the order anyway. So I would say if you're going to pitch McHugh, why not just pitch him three innings, bring Valdez in the fourth and see what happens. Right. Uh, the bullpen, you know, the Rangers series – accentuated my concerns on the bullpen, even though Josh James is looking better. Josh James was a guy that I, I, I had a little bit of confidence going into the playoffs just because he's got the gas. He's got the overpowering stuff when he's on. Uh, he can definitely get any team out. I think that's not somebody I'm worried about. Kyle Presley, I'm not worried about. Osuna, I, I've still got question marks with him, and, and he struggles at times against, uh, you know, teams that I feel like, oh, those are the type of teams that you, you might see in the playoffs. But Osuna and, and Presley and James, are, are overall, they're going to be the guys that you feel comfortable with. There's a lot of concerns from those other guys. Will Harris is starting to come back down to earth in the second half of the season like he normally does in the second half of seasons. Rondon is coming back down to earth. And like I said, Davinsky, it's a major issue. So, you know, hopefully Joe Smith can come on and and, and he can help you a little bit. But it would be really nice if they were to get one other guy in the rotation so that Colin McHugh could concentrate on being maybe one of the late inning guys that you can trust when it comes time to the playoffs. And if once you get that other guy, that means hopefully, because I think Wade Miley stays in, if nothing else, as the fourth starter in a playoff series. So that allows Brad Peacock to move into the bullpen. Then once you get McHugh and Peacock, more guys that I trust. I just don't, with Rendon and Davinsky, I don't trust those guys when the playoffs come around. Yeah, and I think what a lot of what you're seeing right now in the bullpen is fatigue, you know, particularly with Osuna. I mean, it was obvious he was gassed on uh, the game on Saturday because he just had no command of his fastball. He kept throwing it and throwing it. It was high. It was inside. It was... I, I think that's that's my biggest concern with a lot of the back bullpen guys, your, your setup, your closer, is when the season is over, if we're going to have to keep using them in these close games or games that we have to come from behind, you, they're going to be fatigued when the postseason gets here. Now, the good news, as you just mentioned, the good news with the bullpen is it does allow you, if you have three 
starters, say, or four. You, you can use the other one, maybe another one that you know that you pick up in the trade deadline, whichever the case may be. Uh, you, you've got a little more flexibility in the bullpen with one of your starters. Man, I'd love it if the Astros got back to the smart base running team that they used to be. Uh, those are bad habits that you don't have if you're looking for a World Series, Stephen. I just didn't like what I saw this this weekend. Yeah, that and the defense was just very sloppy. I mean, I think, you know, of course, a lot of it is you've got a lot of players out of position uh, with with the injuries, you know, with Correa being out. And, of course, Bregman missed a couple of games. and So I think a lot of what you're seeing on that is just players having to play different positions a little bit too much. But, yeah, the base running concerns me. I know A.J. Hintz said before the start of the season the Astros wanted to be more aggressive on the base pads. Unfortunately, with that aggressiveness, you're going you're gonna to have those screw-ups more. If, if you're tentative on the base paths and don't take as many chances, then you're probably going to play it safe and not have as many. But because they are being more aggressive, let's be honest, sometimes you're going to have those bonehead plays, like what happened in the Rangers series. And what was it? Uh, was it Miles Straw that got caught leaning and snuck basically left to Alvarez standing at the plate? with a bat in his hands that that was a big one yeah you, you okay just on the defense I, i'm going to just say that you know they're, they're they're basically on pace i wasn't you know i was i was mad about the defense but i wasn't concerned because when i look at you know where they were i looked at the errors from last year compared to this year and it feels like they've had a few more errors obviously you know the, the guys playing out of position and not having correa for a long stretch has, has been a factor but when you talk about the base warning blunders being aggressive, there's there's being aggressive, but the, you, there's also being smart. And you mentioned Miles Straw, who you, you don't get caught leaning uh, if you're Miles Straw with Jordan Alvarez at the plate because you're on first as much for stealing that base, but not really when Jordan Alvarez is up. You're you're maybe waiting until Yuli is up because with Jordan Alvarez, you know he he hits a ball in the gap. You're there to get from first to home plate in a, in a millisecond. And, and, and that, that shouldn't have happened, what happened to him. Also, Bregman, with again, with Jordan at the plate, look who's at the plate. Look what the situation is. I think it was maybe it was runner on first and second. And the ball gets away from the catcher a little bit, but there's nobody out. And Jordan's at the plate. And then you got Yuli up next. Now, both of those guys got out after Bregman gets thrown out at third immediately. But... It's it's probably a totally different thing if you're the, the Rangers pitcher when you look at, uh, oh, no, I've got Jordan. I'm, I need to be careful with him. And then you get in trouble. And then you are you got Yuli at the plate. And then I got to be really careful and, and all of that. And then once you get thrown out, it, it's over with. So a big part of it is just use your head. And the other part is just, hey, Jordan Alvarez, you guys need to respect him a little bit. The Astros fans seem to respect him a lot more than the Astros players do. Yeah, it almost makes you wonder. I mean, because the worst thing, it's not even just getting picked off base. It's doing it when you take the bat out of the hands of, right now, one of your best hitters on the team. The best and hitter. When, it, when there's two outs. Yeah, the best hitter, really, he is. I mean, in this, all the games he's played, he is the best hitter. He's certainly the most feared hitter. Uh, he, but with two outs and you get caught leaning and the inning is over, you have a rally going. You know, Alvarez could have hit a single, a double, anything, and they could have scored another run or two. Yeah, so hopefully that gets squared away. But I've seen just a lot more base running blunders, it seems like, this year than I've seen in past years from the Astros. And and some of it's aggression, but some of it has just been, you know, kind of brain lock. And 
I, I, I don't know what's, what's going on with them. Uh, any other uh, thoughts on the Astros before we, we have a, a couple last things? Not really. I mean, I just, again, the concerns of the pitching, and I, I think they will. They, they have to pick up someone at the trade deadline. Their name's being floated about, but you just, you know, they've got to make a deal. And we just have to hope that some of these injuries, will, that people like Peacock and Correa and some of these will come back in time to be ready for the postseason because it's going to take a little bit to get up to speed. So we just have to hope that they come back in a timely fashion. And that will be as healthy as the team can be by the time October gets here. Oh man, it sure would be nice to have a, a healthy Houston Astros team. You just you're so anxious to see what this lineup looks like when everybody is out there, and and you could put in that, you know, 27 Yankees looking lineup that they've got when when you have Bregman and Springer and Altuve and Correa and Jordan and Yuli is just crushing it we haven't even mentioned him he's still doing it still hitting home runs left and right and Josh Reddick and it just goes it goes on and on and on and on it's, it's just it's it's going to be fun when when Brantley I haven't even mentioned him oh yeah that's Mr. right Mr. Consistency just keeps doing doing that stuff the quiet man yeah just uh it's why you forget about him he's just it's it's like a machine he's like a machine working or something like that but um sports had two epic uh, events and I, I want to close out on these events uh here, Stephen. Number one, uh, we may not see a better championship this year in any sport than the show Federer and Djokovic put on at Wimbledon. My old co-host RG Seal texted me in the fifth set tiebreaker and said, "Quote: This is Ali Frazier," and I couldn't agree more. Uh, this continues to be a, a time where champions defy age. Serena and Federer are still excellent in their late thirties. Federer just, you know, I don't know what he takes, but it, 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 it there doesn't seem to be a drop-off much with, with Roger Federer. You got Megan Rapinoe just did her thing in the World Cup. We saw Tiger and Tom Brady or Tom Brady earlier this year uh, do what they did, the Masters and the Super Bowl. Uh, you also got Stephen Mee and Sofia Vergara sharing a birthday this past, <laughs> past week, and we're both still getting it done in our mid-40s. So come on, That's give it right. up. That's right. Give it up. And I know Serena lost, but hey, Serena, you know, to get as far as she's still getting at her age, she's doing well, too. And I have a, a good friend of mine who was very happy that she lost. But anyway, uh, yeah, they're just they're they're coming out of the woodwork. And, you know, Justin Verlander's still pitching well. He's a little shaky, but he's still Justin Verlander. So let's let's not talk about this age thing. Uh you know, when companies make budget cuts, you kind of wonder if they're having age discrimination. Well, look, if athletes can do it, so can everybody else. All right. Epic event number two, the Angels honored Tyler Skaggs Friday. And boy, did they ever. In their first home game since his sudden and sadly unexpected passing, his mom threw out the first pitch of the game. And she threw out a perfect pitch. And you were like, oh, that's a really nice moment. Uh, every Angel player wore his number and name on their jersey, which was really cool. But then his close friend, and, and you know, who broke down, who broke down, and and it just yeah. a really heartening fashion. Mike Trout smashed a 454 foot home run on the very first pitch he saw, which of course the the big uh, number there is 454 because he wore 54 and 454 reading it in both directions is 45. So that that was really a cool part of that. And then 
the coup de gras was the team won the game 13 to nothing on a combined no hitter, which ended just a couple of hours before his 28th birthday. And it was the first combined no hitter in California in the state of California since the Orioles beat the A's on July 13th, 1991. And you're wondering, well, what's the significance of that date? Well, that's the day that Tyler Skaggs was born. And Steven, sometimes yeah. sports just gives you a moment that the best Hollywood script writer can't write. Well, that's right. I mean, even the, the angels in the outfield, I mean, they, they couldn't have done that any better. Was he the angel on the mound and, and in the, at the, at the plate and in the outfield? I mean, yeah, that just, that just sends chills up your spine when something like that can happen. Cause that, that just rocked the, the team, major league baseball when that happened so sudden. There was a lot of talk about it at the All-Star game. A lot of people were were honoring him then. So, yeah, just, I mean, how could you have it any better their first home game since the tragedy? And you not only have a 13 nothing route, but a combined no-hitter. It just, it can't get any better than that. Yeah, the, the other thing that was really cool, if you missed it, there's a photo out there, and a lot of you probably saw it. But, you know, after the game, all the players took off their 45 jerseys they put them on the mound, and it's just covered with forty-five jerseys on the mound. Yeah, and and, and that was, oh, it it was, uh, it's an incredible photo. It's uh, to me, it's like it'll be the one of the photos of the year when the when the year's uh, all said and done. And I think they put the game ball in his locker too, did they not? I would imagine. I I, I, I saw that the, the game ball, the uh, for the perfect game, or the no hitter rather. They put it in his locker. Yeah, that's just. It's great. Um, I, I threw this up there on um, our Houston Sports Talk page and, and up on I tweeted it up on Twitter because uh, it's a great story. And if you haven't seen it, go look for it. Uh, there was a story in the Chronicle. They, they took an excerpt from a, a new book that's out. It's, it sounds like it's a brand new book on the USFL. Jeff Perlman wrote. And it, there's, oh, a, yes. there's a whole section on the gamblers. And the craziness, the parties that they were having, uh, the, the, uh, you know, these are the Jim Kelly gamblers. And they told the whole story of Mouse Davis and, and how he came to be with the gamblers and really Mouse Davis in a lot of ways changed football, changed professional football. Uh, it, it all led to Jack, you know, the gamblers led to Jack Pardee going to the Oilers, uh, well, Jack Pardee going to university of Houston, first of all. Andre Ware right. winning in the Heisman. Uh, that offense was then became ubiquitous after uh, Andre Ware did what he did. Then he goes to the NFL, takes the run and shoot to the NFL, and and lo and behold, you know that uh, slowly over time, not not quite as sudden, but slowly over time, that changes everything. But the stuff that you know you gotta read, you, you're gonna want to read for sure is the partying and the North Dallas 40 aspect of the Houston Gamblers back in that time. There's a lot of stuff that was going on that, uh, Stephen, you and I might not have known much about, but it sounds like they had their share of fun, and it was the drugs and the alcohol and the, all of that, and the girls and all of that stuff. But it's, it's, it's well worth reading, that, that's for sure. Yeah, I read that book. Uh, Jeff Perlman's one of the best sports writers out there. I believe it's called The One Dollar League. I think that's what the book is called, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, just not even about the gambling, just about the gamblers, but the, the San Antonio team, same thing. And of course their, their owner, 
Glenn Mangus ended up, you know, not paying the players for weeks and weeks at a time. Uh, yeah, there were a number of teams, including the gamblers, that did the party thing. And yeah, the, see, that was before the Dallas Cowboys and all the stuff. In fact, Jeff Roman wrote a book about the Cowboys. I think it was Boys Will Be Boys that kind of talked about the same thing when the Cowboys did in the early 90s, all the partying and the drugs and things like that. But yeah, that was a very interesting book. I, I would say definitely get your hands on it. Because if you, if you want to know about football history and the USFL, it, it, it actually did reshape some things in the NFL. It did force the NFL to kind of change some rules and do some things differently that they might not have done if the USFL hadn't been around. It was only around, what, not even three seasons. Uh, but they, they did have some changes occur in football because of that league. Yeah, great addendum to all that is that fantastic 30 for 30 on the USFL that ESPN did a few years ago. That That's right. a must-see if you – if you if you're a football fan, I, I know a lot of people. You know, if you're in your mid 30s, you have no memory really of the USFL. So uh, it's definitely worth looking back on because it it did have a huge impact. And and Stephen, I almost forgot a couple of little minor things with the Rockets, but definitely worth worth mentioning. Uh, Nene uh, is gone, but they they got his replacement uh, this week with uh, Tyson Chandler coming in, which I think is a is a, is a really nice move if you're going to replace Nene. A uh, little bit different of a basketball player. Nene uh, can take that 12, 14, 16 foot jump shot, and he's pretty solid on that, like free throw or, or elbow uh, jump shot. He can hit hit that. Tyson Chandler might not be able to give you that as much, but Tyson Chandler, I think he still has a, a few more ups. Both both of those guys have been around for a long time, but he ha- he might have a, a few more ups, and he might be able to finish around the rim a little bit better which is kind of more the rocket style. But if nothing else, I mean, Tyson Chandler as a locker room presence and leader, uh, Nene was good. I think Tyson Chandler can be great. He, he might he might be a good referee for, for, for Westbrook and Harden. Well, that's very true. And, and he's in his 19th season. So, you know, he's got a lot of experience. I think he will provide that that leadership. That, that the Rockets need in a locker room where you have Harden and Westbrook. And he does have familiarity with Mike D'Antoni. You know, they were with, when they both were the Knicks, I believe that was 2011-2012 season. And, of course, Tyson Chandler isn't the player now that he was then. But it at least gives them, as you said, some of the rim protection, pick and roll options that, that they needed and at least fills the role that uh, Nene filled as far as minutes are concerned. Summer League is over. I don't know if you saw this one, Stephen, but the guy that everybody is talking about from the Rockets Summer League team, Chris Clemens, uh, he he showed some things. He's only five foot nine, which you know the first thing I look at when I see five foot nine is defense. But offensively, yeah. as as somebody that might be able to help you during the regular season, uh, if he gets signed, I, I don't think the Rockets have actually signed him to a contract yet, but, you know, he played for Campbell university. He's the third highest scorer in NCAA division one college basketball. The guy can score. There's no doubt about that. You watch the summer league and, and he can do some things at five foot nine. He's got a little bit of hop to his game too. So, you know, he's just not a ground guy. He's, he's got a little more hop than a Isaiah Thomas Uh, on Twitter. I asked people and some people said, Oh, he, he reminds me a little bit of Nate Robinson, but I think he, he looks like he could be a better shooter than Nate Robinson. And, you know, if they can get him under contract as a 
12th, 13th guy off the bench, but a guy that you might need in a pinch when there's injuries. Uh, Chris Clements could be an interesting guy. It's just somebody to keep an eye on because the Rockets, the rest of the summer league team, I don't know if there was anybody that really, I think, showed much. And, and there's not draft picks, of course. So, you know, whatever you could get out of undrafted guys, that's what you're looking for. He certainly fits the Rockets' scheme of things as far as shooting is concerned. And I, you know, every season, one of the things I always look forward to is who is the player that's going to make an impact or, or get noticed that you might not expect? And whether that's with the Rockets, the Texans, whomever, hey, maybe Chris, maybe Chris Clemens is that guy. You can only hope. Yeah, don't don't get him confused with uh, there. There was also a Chris Clemens that played football. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, it's not the same guy. <laughs> played played for Clemson, but yeah, there 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 was actually a, a Chris Clemens who was a football player and uh, played for the Redskins, the Browns, the Raiders, the Eagles, Seahawks, Jags. Yeah, I think he was a little bigger than this Chris Clemens too. By the way, yeah, <laughs> well. <laughs> Wouldn't take much, but yeah, he he was six foot three, so he was about six inches taller than this guy, or seven inches tall, or something like that. But yeah, right. Uh, if if Chris Clemens is indeed his his advertised height, which is is five foot nine, that Chris Clemens that played for the Rockets summer league. But yeah, a couple of last things for the Rockets. I apologize, I almost forgot about those, but uh, they, they they continue to to be busy and and they still got some stuff to do, Stephen. I mean, they they can still. Uh, signed somebody. They got some money left. There's still the Iguodala thing that's been sitting out there. They want a first round pick for Iguodala. The, the Grizz do, but uh, the Lakers and the Clippers teams that are interested in them don't have first round picks to give, obviously. And uh, the Nuggets, I mean, if the Nuggets were going to give a first round pick, I would assume they would have already done it, but they, they sound like they're interested. Uh, so maybe the Nuggets can get something done. I mean, that that that's the threat probably if you're the Rockets, because I think the Rockets would really like to get Iguodala. Well, that's one of the things that I was also thinking about is, you know, the Rockets may not be done. They could still get an Iguodala, because as we talked about in the last show, with the Chris Paul trade, they didn't give up either of the centerpieces, the, the Clint Capella, the Eric Gordon. So I'm not so sure the Rockets aren't done yet, whether it's Iguodala or someone else to, to bolster that front line. I, I still would like to see Iguodala on the team. I, I, I definitely think he would be a solid presence up front for the Rockets. It's just a question of not giving up too much for him. I don't, I, I don't know that I would give up a first-round pick for him. Certainly not a, an immediate first-round pick for him, but he would be a worthy. He, I, I think he would still be a key player for the Rockets. Yeah, the the guy that they would have to give because you, you, they're going to have to give up some some sort of contract for him because. Uh, where they are with the cap and they've got that exception that they haven't filled out yet. And it's still available. They also have, so they could sign somebody there and trade or uh, they've got the Shumpert because uh, they've, they've got rights to Shumpert still the bird rights. Right. And so they can give Shumpert money that whatever he would need to get him close to the, to Iguodala. Now, whether, you know, they, they would want that kind of weight of Shumpert's contract, but maybe they could move that later in the year, somebody might need a Shumpert and somebody might be willing to give up a, a, a late first round pick or a second round pick or something like that. Uh, maybe a team out there. So, you know, that, that, that could be something that, that the Grizz can then flip. Uh, so they would get maybe a, a second round pick or a couple of second round picks from the Rockets. I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to think like the Grizzlies here, but be interesting to see anyway. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
But uh, that's all I got for this show. And we're going to be keeping an eye out, though, for the Rockets and, and what's going to happen there. And who knows? Maybe by the next time you and I talk, Stephen, that the Astros are, have pulled a deal because – Believe it or not, we're just just over two weeks from the, the deadline, and there's only one. That's it. There's only one. So you do it in two weeks or you don't do it at all. But I, I still believe they're going to do something. So we will keep our eyes and ears open. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.